Our scripture passage this morning, Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 to 29, Pew Bible, page 13. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 to 29. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten to us your word by your spirit that we may see in it Jesus Christ, our Savior. We may adore him more. Love him more. And may looking upon him transform us. We may apply these words to our lives and live by them and according to them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside its tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way, so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years. And then he died. This father reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. After beating cancer that had already spread to other parts of his body in 1996, all eyes were on Lance Armstrong when he returned to cycling the following year. But it was in 1999 when he won his first Tour de France, the most prestigious and difficult race in cycling, that his status was really elevated and he became one of the most revered athletes at the time. Armstrong became a household name. He became a cause, a movement. Live strong armbands. Armstrong was thrust into the international spotlight and helped increase the popularity of cycling globally. He won the Tour de France seven times in a row before retiring at the age of 33. Armstrong came back years later, though not the, the same level of his dominance previously, and raced in a handful of big races before retiring again. And despite all his success and glory, despite his numerous awards and, and his victory over cancer, Armstrong's career was not without controversy. From the beginning of his dominance in the cycling world, he was constantly accused of taking performance-enhancing drugs, accusations which he 
vehemently denied. Eventually, however, the truth caught up to him, and in 2012, Armstrong was stripped of his seven Tour de France victories following a report by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. And in 2013, he finally admitted publicly that he had used performance-enhancing drugs during each of his Tour de France victories. How the mighty have fallen. And what was once a household name, a story that was told to young people to tell them that they could do something with their lives, they could come overcome such great odds, they could beat cancer, they could have victories and chase after their dreams. Now is a name that brings disdain, shame about a cheater. The rise and fall of Lance Armstrong is in many ways sort of like our passage this morning. If the post-flood narrative is meant to be a recreation story, as we've been talking about, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, a day of rest, the reemergence of animals and creatures and even mankind made in the image of God upon the earth, then our passage today is like a retelling of Genesis 3. It's a reminder to us that the curse remains. That this is not the new creation that is ultimate, final, lasting. It is only a new creation that points to that final new creation. Yet, even in this difficult passage and sad story about the rise and fall of Noah and his family, we're reminded that God's grace abides. The curse remains, but God's grace abides. We have three points this morning. The first is the new is old, where I'll cover the first two verses of our passage, 18 and 19, and also the last two verses, 28 and 29. And the second point is how the mighty have fallen, verses 20 to 23. And the final point is the curse of Cain in verse 24 through 27. So let's begin with that first point, the new is the old. And what I mean by saying the new is the old is that understanding that this is meant to be a new creation narrative, that those who would have been reading this, written by Moses to the people of Israel, would have heard these terms and would have understood that what is being presented here in the story of the flood and Noah is the idea of a new creation, a cleansed and purified creation. Yet there are two pointers in the first two verses and the last two verses of this passage that tell us that this new creation is still like the old creation, post-Genesis 3. And the first is we read 
that this transition is happening between the focus being on Noah, shifting to those of his descendants, his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, who will then make up the, the original descendants that make up the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. This transition points us to the future of the people of Israel. When it says, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. That little note that Ham was the father of Canaan would have been very important to the people of Israel who are receiving these books, these words, as they were in the midst of entering into the promised land, in the midst of understanding the history of the Canaanites, those who were the enemies of Israel, those who at one point inhabited the promised land and who had become so sinful and so corrupt that God was sending Israel into the promised land and was devoting these people, these people groups, the Canaanites, to utter destruction, total annihilation. Yet here we're being told that they have a common descendant. Noah, and from Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and from Ham, the Canaanites, the father of Canaan. And so, an Israelite reading this, and we should as well read this and say, well, if Ham's the father of Canaan, and that means these evil, corrupt people with all these horrible practices that we are being warned about, that we are being told we should have nothing to do with their paganism and their sexual immorality and their perverseness. These people are corrupt. This new earth is like the old earth. Sin remains. And then in the last two verses, 28 and 29, that completes this narrative, the book of the Toledoth of Noah. We read, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years. And then those all too important words, words that we've heard many times already in the book of Genesis, Words that drill into us the point that we are not living in the creation that God intended. We are not living in the creation that has escaped from a fall, escaped from a curse. We read those words. And then he died. All the hope that was set upon Noah who would bring us rest. All the hope that was pumped into this understanding that God saw Noah as righteous and that God was going to bring a judgment upon all the rest of creation and cleanse it and purify it. And he was going to save Noah and his family in that. And they walked out of the ark onto this new creation, starting over. All comes crashing down when you read those words. 
And then he died. Because death is that one indicator. That one reality that faces each and every one of us that reminds us we still live on a cursed creation and fallen bodies. We are not as we were once. And we are not yet as we one day will be. The wages of sin is death. And even Noah, who is in this story meant to picture a new Adam landing on a mountain top garden, planting his vineyard, is not the Savior that we need. Death still comes to meet him. This new creation is still like the old creation. Sin, curse, it all remains. And if that wasn't uh, obvious enough to us from the first two verses and the last two verses of this passage that we're looking at today, we are told of another event. And how the mighty have fallen, verses 20 through 23. In verse 20, 21, we're told that Noah, who was a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, a lot can be said that is good about wine in the Bible. Oftentimes, in the history of Israel and in the Psalms, abundance of wine is an expression of God's blessing upon his people. But there are also warnings in the Bible when it comes to drinking wine or alcohol. And it's about the way that a good gift can be abused. Just like any good gift that the Lord gives us, what Satan seeks to do with these gifts and what our flesh seeks to do with these gifts is twist them and turn them into something that is bad. And so Noah and his celebration of this new creation, and this rich soil that is there on the ground, plants a vineyard, seeking maybe in his role as a new Adam to cultivate and to grow a new garden over all this creation. Yet the next step that he takes is one that is void of wisdom. Self-control. He drank some of its wine and he became drunk. 
And because of his condition, his state, where he's lost his sense of judgment, he lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, i got to be honest with you. Um, this week, I had to drive into the seminary and ask some of my professors, what's going on here and how should I explain this? Because this is quite a bizarre passage. And I think part of the reason why it's difficult to understand is because we, in our day and age, can't quite grasp why a son seeing his father's nakedness would result in such a harsh punishment and curse. So there is Noah, drunk and uncovered in his tent, and Ham came in, saw his father's nakedness, and he went outside and he told his two brothers. And we read that Shem and Japheth, they respond to this situation differently than Ham. They take a garment, they lay it across their shoulders, they walk in backwards, and they cover their father's nakedness, and their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. What exactly is going on here? Well, there's been many explanations to try to describe what is being talked about here. Um, Some simply read this passage and understand that what is being spoken of here is exactly what it says on the surface. That Noah was naked, that Ham saw him naked, and that it was wrong for uh, a son to see his father's nakedness. And so Shem and Japheth cover their father in order to preserve his dignity. And what Ham did was shameful. And some understand that to mean that what is going on here is a dishonoring, a great dishonoring of, of Noah by Ham. And you see in this principles of the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And what Ham did was dishonoring in the sense of uh, not only did he see his father, father's nakedness, but he, he spoke of it to his brothers as something that was laughable. That's the kind of sense that you get from the idea that Ham went and told his brothers what he saw. Um, but others have looked at this passage and, and thought that there was something more sinister, more wrong going on here. Uh, that there was uh, an inappropriate sexual act done to Noah by Ham. Or even taking into consideration later passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that the term, your father's nakedness, refers to um, uh, his wife, Noah's wife. And so that there's some sort of maternal incest happening here by Ham and with his mother. Could be being alluded to. And, and I believe that those um, interpretations or understandings come from that desire that the punishment would, would fit the crime. 
that what happened here was not simply Ham walking in on his father naked because, because that doesn't seem to correlate with the idea that Ham's entire descendants would be cursed, would be cut off from the covenant, would now become part of the seed of the serpent rather than the seed of the woman. And after speaking to my very well-qualified and intelligent seminary professors, asking them, how do I communicate this? How do I preach this? How do, what do I say about this? I finally came up with a good answer, an explanation. Do you want to hear it? No, you don't want to hear it? Okay, all right, we'll move on now. What I would say is, we don't have enough textual information to choose one interpretation or another. But what we do know is that whatever Ham did to his father Noah was wrong. It was sinful. It was shameful. And maybe part of our problem is that we don't understand now in our day and age the, the, how connected, how connected that shame of nakedness is to what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember, they were naked and unashamed. But when sin entered into this creation, when sin entered in and began to come between Adam and Eve, come between Adam and Eve and God, there was a realization of their nakedness. Their understanding that they were uncovered, exposed, and that they were sinful, and that God was righteous. And that was felt deeply. And that's why we all wear clothes today. Yet here Ham is looking upon the nakedness of his father and laughing about it to his brothers. It's shameful. It's dishonoring. And it's something that communicates to us that what is broken and what is wrong with this world and with ourselves, it's still here. And the story of Noah and his sons, it's still there. And so we read this dishonorable act that Ham does. But Shem and Japheth, in, in, order to, in a desire to, to protect their father's dignity, to maintain it and to, to keep it, they, they cover him. They protect him. They cover over his nakedness and do not look upon him. Nonetheless, the act has been done. The mighty have fallen. And there's a result. There's a result 
that comes from this encounter, this situation, this circumstance. It's a delineation between Noah's descendants. One receives a curse, and the other receives a blessing. So let's look at the curse of Canaan. Verse 24, we're told, When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. Ham's descendants receive a curse. Shem's descendants receive a blessing. And Japheth's descendants receive a blessing inside the blessing of Shem. Why, um, why such a strong reaction? Well, so that we would know that what is happening here in the sons of Noah is uh, the line of the Messiah is being narrowed down all the more. That these three sons are going to be who all the people of the earth are scattered from, descended from. That some of them are of the seed of the serpent, and one of them is of the seed of the woman. And Canaan is cursed because of the shameful act of his father, Ham. And from Ham we'll find on the table of nations come all the great enemies of the people of Israel. Egypt, Syria, Canaanites. But from Shem will come the people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, all the way to Jesus. There's a cursing and there's a blessing. This cursing reminds us that the curse is alive in creation. Well, the blessing reminds us that God's grace abides. The curse remains, but God's grace abides. It might be important for us to know that even in this passage, we are being pointed to the reality of a coming Savior, Jesus Christ, one who is the last and final Adam, the one who does bring us rest. You see, in the life of Jesus Christ, he was stripped naked and mocked as well. People speak curses at him. 
Yet in the nakedness of Jesus Christ, he clothed us. Covered over our shame. See, in this story, it's very easy to think that we are the good ones, Shem, Japheth. We're the ones that would not have mocked our father. But it is true that we are fallen in sin. And the curse that Ham receives is the curse that we also deserve, a punishment. A punishment that resulted for Canaan and his descendants in subjugation and slavery is a reality for all of us because we are slaves to sin and our own desires and wants. But it's in the nakedness of Jesus Christ, it is in his sacrifice on the cross, him being stripped and beaten and bruised. It's in him drinking the cup of the wrath of God that he turns not in that punishment, not in that moment where he is demeaned, dishonor, to curse. But instead, he is the one who receives the curse so that we could have the blessing. We're all ham in this story. We're all the ones who've dishonored our Father in heaven and who deserve punishment for our sins. And may we be thankful that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that He could drink the cup of the, the wrath of God That he could be stripped naked, spat upon, and shamed. But that in his shame and in his cross and in his being disgraced, we would receive blessing and not curse. So that we could be freed from our bondage to sin and live to Jesus Christ. What we see in this story is the reality that the curse remains, but God's grace abides. And even in this dark moment of our history, the people of God's history, this moment in which we realize very quickly after the flood that the heart of man is still broken, it's still turned inward, it's still sinful and corrupt. That this is not the final new creation, this is not the final Adam, this is not a new creation void of sin and brokenness and curse. What we have is the first family following the destruction of all other people becomes broken. Dysfunctional. 
split and separated. But it is actually in the work of Jesus Christ, in a very real sense, that these lines that were split and separated are drawn back together because I would think most of us here today are not descendants of Shem and the Israelite people. I can make that guess. But then in Jesus Christ, the Gentiles could be grafted in to the olive tree. That those who were at one time cursed could be blessed through their father, Abraham, the father of all who believe. It's a reminder to us that even here at Genesis 9 and this story of cursing and blessing and, and what has happened with Ham and, and his descendant Canaan and all those who would come from him, and it's not the end of the story. There's more to be said here. There's more to be done. To know that in one day in the future, through a descendant of Shem, salvation would be purchased and bought. And that all the peoples, all the nations, from every tribe, tongue, background, will be drawn into the body of Christ and will become one people. United by their one Savior, Jesus Christ. There might have been a lot of people on that day when Jesus Christ was hanging from the cross lifting himself up so that he could breathe, who thought the words, how the mighty have fallen. But it's actually in the fall the death of a Savior that he has glorified him. Through death comes victory. And in Jesus Christ, the curse that remains is being cleared, gotten rid of. God's grace abides. And may you know that even in dark times, even in difficult times, even in times when you may be wondering, where is God? Maybe even in your life as the day-to-day toil continues forward and you begin to sometimes wonder thoughts like, why am I even here? What am I even supposed to be doing here? What is my purpose? Be reminded. that Even though the curse remains, God's grace abides. That even though so much looks broken and wrong in this world and even in your own heart, God's not finished. The story's not over. There's more to come. And even though 
The end of Lance Armstrong's career ended in disgrace. There's always hope that that's not the end of his story either. That he could turn his life around, that God could do something great. And that's true for all of us. The curse remains, but God's grace abides. That is a promise that must keep us hoping believing, trusting. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in Jesus Christ we have not received the cursing that we deserve, but the blessing. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus Christ those words we heard of Noah, then he died, are not the final words. For in your death, we have life and life eternal. In your resurrection, we will be raised to newness of life, and we have been. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus Christ, in his moment of disgrace, being stripped naked, beaten, hung from a cross, that you, Lord, covered us and clothed us in righteousness, not our own. And we praise you, Lord, that even though the curse remains, you are doing your work through your grace in Jesus Christ to bring that final new creation new heavens and new earth, one that is without sin, one where we will gather at the wedding feast of the Lamb and we will drink, celebrate. Truthfully and purely, without sin, without the curse, without death, without brokenness, for the rest of eternity we will praise you, Lord for what you've done in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.